Welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show where we talk about movies, one uh, movie in a franchise at a time. I'm talking like a game show host, apparently. Uh, my name is Matt, and we're r- rounding out our discussion of Die Hard the past few episodes with the most recent film, uh, at least as of uh, November 2011 so far. That uh, has a few different titles. In uh, the U.S., uh, for sure, it was released as Live Free or Die Hard, but uh, overseas, it was released as Die Hard 4.0. And we got it confirmed by one of our listeners that in Australia it was released as Die Hard 4.0. And I've seen a lot of international posters uh, with that title as well. Um, you know, this movie stars Bruce Willis, but also has uh, some uh, sort of, I guess you could say, a cameo appearance by uh, film director Kevin Smith, which is kind of strange. Uh, it has it from a story by Mark Bomback and David Marconi. And a screenplay by uh, Mark Bomback, and it's directed by Len Wiseman, who you might know better as the director of um, the first two Underworld movies. And he's also directing the Total Recall remake coming out in uh, 2012. So uh, with me is uh, Thrasher. Hello, everybody. Uh, you know, if you... If you haven't been keeping up with the Die Hard episodes, I recommend you listen to all of them or any of our past episodes at SequelCast.com. But our uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, the Die Hard 3 episode, is pretty special because we had a special guest, uh, Eric uh, Lichtenfeld, author of Action Speaks Louder, Violent Spectacle, and the American Action Cinema, who we've had on as a guest before. And he he, uh, gave a great perspective on the entire Die Hard series in that Die Hard uh, with a Vengeance episode. So certainly check that out. Uh, look us up on Twitter at SequelCast and if you go on Facebook and type in SequelCast we have lately been a very active uh, Facebook page uh, with comments from listeners that we're going to start incorporating into the show I think so anything I missed uh, Thrasher? No it's a pretty good uh, pretty good recap of recent SequelCast news. Okay great uh, you know I, before we start talking about Die Hard with the Ven- or, <laughs> uh, Live Free or Die Hard or Die Hard 4.0 um, I'm just going to call it Die Hard 4, because I hate the name Live Free or Die Hard. But before we get into that, I've thought about, what do you think about doing a segment on SequelCast where we talk about one movie we've watched in the past week, or it could be a TV show? Do you think that's straying too far from the SequelCast uh, path? Yeah, I could certainly do that. I actually... why, why don't we do that now, then? Well, not not for me, but only because I saw lots of sequels this past week. 
Just mention one. It has to be limited to one because the show isn't about what we've been watching. Uh, uh, I, I watched most of the Children of the Corn series. Oh, you think that could be a fun the candidate? The most recent one cast? being uh, Children of the Corn 7. And they did a, a miniseries. Um... Uh, well, uh, fun, infuriating, then fun, then infuriating, I think. I've heard the one that Having takes place in urban uh, Chicago. It's supposed to be pretty fun. Is that three? Urban yeah, Harvest? Uh, yeah, yeah. Although I got to say that the, the seventh movie, in the seventh movie, the corn starts attacking people. Hmm. It just pop. Does it become popcorn? No, it never becomes popcorn, but like corn grows out of the floor and like beats people, strangles people, <laughs> does terrible things to people. Yeah, I mean, we haven't done horror uh, films in a while on sequel cast. Um, there's a lot yeah, of those. Reanimator. No, no, you're right, and uh, some of those are very difficult to uh, to track down. Um, it just depends, but that's interesting, though. Uh, so, with all this stuff, uh, for me, something I watched uh, recently is I saw the new Captain America movie, the full title of which is Captain America: The First Avenger which I don't mm. think that subtitle is really necessary other than to get the Avenger name out there before the Avengers sort of super Marvel team-up movie comes out uh, summer of 2012. And uh, have you seen the Captain America film yet, Will? Regrettably, no. It's It's been on my to, my to watch list for ages, and I, I really like the character, and I bet I will enjoy their take on it, but for whatever reason, it just sort of slipped through my summer viewing cracks. Yeah, movie tickets have been so expensive, I've just been waiting for the dollar theater or just renting them. Like, I rented Captain America through Redbox, and, um... Mm. So, it, it, there's one across the street from my house, and sometimes that's more convenient, case depending. But, uh, Captain America, um, I'm not gonna... I'd say something, but it'd be a spoiler, but since you haven't seen it, I won't say that. But I will say, I think <laughs> it's certainly... Better than the recent crop of Marvel films, which, like, I didn't think Iron Man 2 was that good. I thought Thor was fun, but ultimately okay. And I sort of felt that same way about the Incredible Hulk uh, film with Edward Norton from a few mm. years ago. And so I think this Captain America seems to try a bit harder, and maybe it's just with the time period it, it um, keeps tracking. Although I am glad they did make it a period piece, I I really wish more superhero films were period pieces. In and, in my in my dream world, the Fantastic Four movie would be made to take place in the nineteen sixties. Well, you know, Fox is trying to reboot that, and whether they try to make it uh, darker, like some of the the Ultimate Fantastic Four incarnations, or or what? Fantastic you know, not... Four does not work dark. I think that would be a mistake. I thought the second Fantastic Four movie was okay. But um, what we're doing now is called Stalling People. Well, it was, it was just from, like... We're going to move from what you've been watching to talking about the fourth Die Hard film uh, called Live Free or Die Hard in the United States, or it was also called Die Hard 4.0 uh, in a lot of overseas markets. Um, so why don't, right from the beginning, why don't we fucking talk about... Well, first of all, you saw this movie for the show, right? That was your first time. Well, um, I almost didn't, and I've uh, written some slam poetry about that. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I was going to see this one when it came out in the theater, and then uh, the reviews were kind of mixed, and um, the cast wasn't terribly appealing for me. So I, I decided to, to rent it, you know, as soon as I got a Netflix account back in um, 2007 or something. And 
I, uh, at the time I thought it was better than I thought it was, than I thought it would be, but watching it now, it just seems, uh, very tired, I think I'll start off by saying that much. Um, so, do you want to start with your slam poetry or table it for the end? Uh, no, no, no. I think I think it's best to 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 begin the show with a little bit of real art before we get into this grim tableau that we call the sequel cast. Okay, so this is a Thrasher's uh, "Live Free or Die Hard" uh, fan fiction slam poetry. <laughs> it's not sl- fan fiction. No <laughs> one has sex. There's no Willis on Oliphant sex scenes. It's slam poetry, and it's about it's about a real raw emotional thing that happened to me. Okay. All right. Live free or die hard. Why don't you try hard to make this film available online for download, for streaming? Can't you hear the fans are screaming from acclaim? We're too well acquainted with the pain of not being able to find this on the Netflix, on the Hulu, on the Redbox. Wherever I look, it's not there. Where am I going to go to live free or die hard? Am I going to go to hell? Are you telling me to go to hell, studio who put this out? Kevin Smith, why don't you back me up? Oh, my girlfriend's got a copy. No, no, is this... Couldn't you do Live Free or Die Hard as, like, an Amazon digital rental? Or as an iTunes uh, rental? Uh, I really don't know, because I don't subscribe to those services. Uh, I know sometimes they have have stuff streaming on uh, the Xbox 360, and... um, I've rented stuff off there sometimes, but it's confusing because for some movies you can only do a digital purchase, which costs uh, like 20 bucks or something ridiculous. But that's interesting. But anyway, it was not on streaming Netflix, I think, mm. is your inspiration for the slam poetry. Yes, yeah, so, so strangely enough, it costs more than I'm sorry, what was that? It costs more? So sometimes the downloads cost more than the DVD. That's what. Oh, that's no, that's true, not. certainly. And you know, with the. Uh, I, I do like digital stuff, but um, and, and it's really convenient for uh, computer games and video games. But on the other on the other end, when you're finished with your satisfaction with the product, you don't you don't get a return on your investment by selling it to a used, uh, you know, to a, a secondhand store. Well, I mean, I, I will say, like, I, I'm particular about the the, the DVDs that I buy. And that's because I, I do see them uh, as an investment, but as an investment in entertainment. I, I only purchase a DVD that I have very strong feelings that I'm going to watch again. And and typically that is the case. My yeah. my DVD collection uh, is very well watched. Excellent. Um, live free or die hard. You know, when I think of the die hard... Uh, but uh, I guess you want to start with how this movie starts with computers exploding for some reason. Yeah, it starts, you know, not with the scene with... Uh, although, I mean, as uh, uh, Erica Lichtenfeld pointed out last episode, you know, it's not like most of these movies op- open with Bruce Willis right away or in an action sequence. But this one, you know, it opens on uh, the uh, character uh, Matt Farrell, played by Justin Lawn, a.k.a. Mac, on the uh, old Mac versus PC uh, commercials. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, this is one of his first real big movies he was in. And uh, he's a computer hacker. It, the stuff with him on the computer in his kind of room with all the comic books and uh, action figures. They're not action figures, they're Japanese model kits. Japanese model kits. Um, it reminded me of The Matrix, really. 
Yeah, I was getting Neo flashes for a lot mm. of his his scenes, and also from the movie's washed-out color palette. So we were talking about the explosions and the heightened reality of the explosions in the previous film. Well, um, well more, yeah, exactly, right. The explosions were more, as the guest uh, Eric Lichtenfeld uh, pointed out, you know, had more dust. They weren't big fireballs. And the second Die Hard movie, uh, Die Hard 2, it was certainly uh, over the top. And this one, I think, returns to a more over-the-top style of action. Now, that being said, all diehards, in a sense, are over-the-top, but um, one and three do it in a more, excuse me, in a more subtle fashion. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite of Star Trek. In the Die Hard series, the odd-numbered films are always the best. You're right, yeah, what is the even for the Star Treks? But what do you say, is that even the case with the... Uh, Next Generation movies? Uh, Do you like Nemesis better than uh, Insurrection? Uh, you know, i got to admit, I, don't exa- I, I consider Nemesis better than Insurrection, but I don't necessarily like it. You know, I think if we do Star Trek, we can't do ten episodes in a row of Star Trek. We could divide it up as a stretch of episodes on Next Generation or a stretch oh. on the original... Or we'll just do a series of Star Trek specials, one a month. <laughs> Make it you, you know, something project. some other podcasts have been doing, and I'm not sure how we could do it, but they do something where you can record a special podcast that people have to pay like a dollar to get or something. So you're saying we could finally adopt? Adopt? I'm sorry, I heard a completely different thing than what you just said. So you're saying, so you're saying we can do a Star Trek special, and we'll make that our monetized sequel cast? No, not the Star Trek special necessarily. I'm not sure what we could do that could be monetized, except for commentaries or I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't even have anything monetized. But um, <laughs> you know, we've had the Amazon uh, affiliation on the site for a while, and I've worked hard putting all those links on the site, and nothing's come from that. And we have a PayPal button on a sequelcast.com and nothing's come from that yet. So, food for thought. Food for thought. And money for food. That too. Food for thought, money for food, live free or die hard. <laughs> um, the introduction of Bruce Willis in this film is really lame. And Now, you recall from the first film, it, it makes a deal that he has a son, and a daughter. And in this film, we see the daughter. In the fifth Die Hard film, which is going to have an American title, tentatively, of uh, A Good Day to Die Hard, is going to be about Bruce Willis reuniting with his son. But this one is about, uh, sorry, John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, reuniting with his daughter. It's really it's really shitty the way they've treated John McClane and his family, because, like, in the first movie, he goes from connecting with his wife to by the time he's in this movie, he's divorced. His wife wants nothing to do with him. He has nothing, well, not, wants nothing to do with his wife. And neither of his kids want anything to do with him. Well, he Why was like a half step away. keep destroying John McClane's family? He was a half step away from being an alcoholic in uh, the third one. You know. So, I mean, maybe he got fired from the force for a while. I mean, one thing I wish they would do is have more consistency with who his superiors in the police department are. Even though he lives in different places, having a familiar face, you know, not necessarily uh, Reginald Bill Johnson, 
as a Captain Al Pell. But well, you know what? Like the more as as I was watching this movie, it suddenly occurred to me with all the things John McClane has done, with all the terrorist plots he's foiled, with all the times when he's been the only guy who was right in a tense situation, it occurred to me, why has he never been recruited by the FBI? He would make a great agent. But even the FBI, like in all the, mov- like in all the movies, everyone keeps blowing McClane off, even though he saved thousands of... By this time, he saved thousands of people. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, another interesting thing with this film is you look at everything that's that's going on, and the introduction of John McClane is usually kind of funny, and this one just comes off as weird and kind of creepy. He's in the parking lot of the college that his daughter goes to, kind of spying on her. Spying on her and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend, right, and he walks up and is like, don't touch my daughter like that. And in this movie, as it should be noted, you know, he has a shaved head, like Bruce Willis has had in movies for the last, oh, since uh, Live Free or Die Hard, basically. Well, it's a good look for him. It is. And, you know, Bruce Willis really looks old in this movie. You know, as much as they try to do Photoshop and stuff in the movie poster, you look at his eyes, you look at his neck especially, that's a telltale spot. He's uh, getting older, as people do, and that's not his fault, but the whole uh, phenomenon of aging action stars, and you look at Sylvester Stallone, we talked about that a bit in the Rambo 4 episode, uh, you know, what do they do when an action star gets old? Well, I think it really works for John McClane in this movie, I mean, he, he looks like a harried guy who's been through some shit, both personally and professionally. Right, but that he's hired on a special basis... Uh, by the uh, what is, is he hired by the FBI? Well, he's not hired by the FBI. The FBI needs some, the FBI has noticed these hackers are being killed in mysterious computer explosions, so they need somebody to take one of these hackers into protective custody and deliver him to the FBI. And they want a senior police detective to do it, who's in the area, and that just so happens to be John McClane. So he gets you know called on what I can only assume is his night off to do this uh, protective custody transport. I mean, I feel that's a really forced setup. I don't know. it. It's really labored. The whole thing about computer hackers, I mean... Um, oh, my God. There was a movie starring Hugh Jackman that was about sort of terrorist computer hackers called Swordfish, I think. Oh, yeah. Him and Halle Berry. You know, the, the whole thing with computer hackers had been done to death by the time Live Free or Die Hard came out. It even felt passé. You know, even things like Hackers, really, uh, well, which was a movie from the 90s. The, the real problem is that people still haven't realized that it's not exciting to look at somebody sitting at a keyboard. Yeah, and no so matter what result, no matter what techno music you throw in the soundtrack, you're right. Yeah, yeah, whenever it's time to hack, you got to throw it. They throw in crazy music, bizarre <laughs> camera, <laughs> pointless action <laughs> with the hands <laughs> making it look exciting, ridiculous <laughs> interfaces on the computer screen that no functional computer would ever have. Right, I'm also thinking of a Sandra Bullock movie called The Net. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it had computer hackers in there, too. So, I mean... And for Die Hard, where the other movies use locations, in, the, in Die Hard with a Vengeance, 
it's all of New York City pretty much until the end. Um, that you don't, even though you have some Washington D.C. stuff in this one, it's not. I think they would have done better doing a more scaled back location. Oh, definitely. They are driving. They are apparently driving all over the country in this movie. This New York, Washington D.C., West Virginia, back to New York. Mm-hmm. They're back to Washington, and, and like look, looking at it. If I'm if I'm interpreting the timeline correctly, is John McClane up for about seventy two hours straight, or almost seventy two hours straight? Probably so. He looks exhausted in this movie. I mean, while this movie is being made, uh, Bruce Willis, the actor, of course, that plays John McClane, claims "Live Free or Die Hard" was the best Die Hard film, had the best script since the original, which uh, I find very hard to swallow. Oh, the script could have been fantastic, but it could have been ruined when brought to the screen. I mean, I can no, see that could my be, and that happens a lot. This movie could work. It's just not the movie I saw. Yeah, no, no, that that uh, that certainly happens. And you look at all this "Live Free or Die Hard" stuff, and it it mentions you see sort of the head bad guy appears to be a, a an Asian woman uh, played by Maggie Q, who had been in stuff like I believe uh, the Too Fast, Too Furious, and. Um, Wait, oh, I got that wrong. She was in Rush Hour 2. I was thinking of someone else. But uh, Maggie Q was in Rush Hour 2, Mission Impossible 3. Um, a lot of Asian films. Uh, she was in the King of Fighters movie, based off a video game. Um, and, you know, she's like a tough, hardened uh, action female villain. They don't see a lot, and when I first saw the film, I was very excited. I'm like, "Oh, a, villain, a, a woman's the bad guy. That might do but, interesting gender politics." And then, nope, her superior is a man, not just any man. Uh, the character is called Thomas Gabriel, and it's played by Timothy Oliphant. Uh, and uh, I think this part got cut out earlier, but uh, you know, former uh, co-host of the sequel cast, Sabrina Miller. Uh, I was a host of sequel cast with her for a. Uh, a few months there, uh, when it was on Cascadia FM. Uh, she said, we were ragging on this on Twitter, and uh, she said, well, don't be too hard on the movie. I think it's good, except for that Timothy Elephant guy. And she meant Oliphant. <coughs> or maybe she was trying to do a pun. I have no I, idea. I prefer Timothy Heffalump. Do you mind if I read some tweets I got uh, bashing Timothy Oliphant last night? No, go right ahead. I just mentioned Die Hard 4. What do people think about it? And I, I threw out there, I thought, if Maggie Q... Uh, the Asian female villain would have just been the only bad guy. It would have been more interesting than Timothy Oliphant. And I got from Robert Wagner, who's the head guy at uh, Cascadia.fm, and he and Sabrina host a very popular podcast called Portland Sucks. Uh, He says, totally agree, Oliphant sucks. Sabrina says, agreed 110%. Have much disdain for that little man. Uh, and uh, Robert Wagner again says, I'm stoked for Die Hard 5. I love them all except Die Hard 2, which is just okay. And uh, another person jumped on, Jim Powell. I don't know who he is. He says, Oliphant always looks like as if he'll break into tears at any moment for no apparent (laughs) reason. And Robert replied, because he's a pussy? Yep, that's it. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) a lot of... A lot of words of hate against him. Well, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to defend him, but I don't think he's that bad. 
Uh, he, I just find he's not used well. I mean, for, first, first and foremost, another another big flaw. He, if he's your central villain, you better introduce him quick, and you better introduce him in a big way. By the time Oliphant's revealed as both a character and a villain, I just didn't care. I mean, yes. Yeah, like, oh, so you're the guy who's wasted forty five minutes of my time with your preposterous terrorist scheme. Right, and you know, speaking of the villains, uh, sequel cast listener on the Facebook uh, sequel cast page, uh, Glenn Hewitt, who you know wrote a really nice letter about how much he's listened to all the sequel cast and how he really enjoys the show, and he wants us to do Superman, which I think is certainly in our future at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, he, he did a great comment. I'm just going to read it if you don't mind. Talking about diehard villains, he says, I found Timothy Oliphant's performance a bit planned and cliched. He came across as a real stereotypical villain that was more akin to some of the Bond villains of the Brosnan era. He lacks the charm of Earthman's in Die Hard and Iron's baddie in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Their villains have an almost playful nature about them, almost on the verge of being camp. I'd say they are camp. Uh, whereas Oliphant was the total opposite in every way, shape, or form, in a lot of ways Maggie Q steals the show. Um, what do you think about some of those uh, comments from Glenn? Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, I think I would have preferred that Maggie Q had been the main villain. I was really getting into her, and then she really quickly is downgraded to the level of sexy assassin. And yeah, I, I, I think I, she's I really pretty. She, I think she's pretty too, without being a knockout. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's also um, wait. I shouldn't say that. I don't know that for a fact. I was gonna say she appeared. Part Asian, part Caucasian, but um, Caucasian, I believe it's called. Oh no, no, that is correct. Her mother is Vietnamese. Her father is of Irish and Polish descent. But um, not that that it's matters. Sort of the but stereotype mashup here. But I'm just saying you don't see that the mixed races that much in you know outside of pictures of models in a magazine or something on America's Next Top Model on that uh, reality show. And that a lead actress in a film being a villain in an action picture really could have been something. And they don't use her as effectively as they could have. But she still makes a fine uh, presence, I think. And Timothy Oliphant, I really fucking hate him in this film, and in almost anything I've seen him in, in that he's just bland. And maybe he's trying to underplay, maybe he thinks he's being subtle. It's very difficult to compete against Bruce Willis in what is one of the premier action franchises. Well, you're not just competing with him, you're also competing with Alan Rickman. Yeah, sure, Jeremy yeah, Al- the ghost of Alan Rickman, and, uh... They're, they're two of our generation's greatest scenery chewers, but I mean that in a very positive way. I love the way they get into it. I love the way they can camp it up mm-hmm. just enough. One makes me think if Alan Rickman wouldn't have played uh, the terrorist in the first Die Hard, it could have very well been Tim Curry. And you know, oh, I don't. Yeah. And I don't think Tim Curry ever read for the part. But certainly, uh, Alan. I don't. I'm, I'm obsessed with Tim Curry. And if you listen to the sequel cast, that's obvious. And speaking we of Tim are. Curry, that ties into uh, what we're going to cover next on sequel cast. But we'll save that for the end of the show. Oh, don't give it away. No. Um, so speaking of actors in this, how do you think Justin Long does as Matt Farrell, the sort of goofy hacker sidekick, who ends up he falling does. in love with McLean's daughter? Big surprise. He, I think he does all right. I, I limit. I didn't like him at first, but I warmed up to him as the as the film went on. Um, I, I, I he 
he's the only character that actually seems to live in the real world. He's freaked out by violence happening around him constantly. He uh, he he gets spooked. He uh, he's the only character that bothers pointing out that you need to eat and drink to survive. <laughs> I think it's funny that when Bruce Willis is trying to look around his uh, office for booby traps, he says, oh, don't touch the action figure, that's worth a lot. Or Bruce Willis calls it, like, a, a doll or something, and he's like, actually, that's a 76-point articulated figurine. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he doesn't sound that nerdy, but he's an okay presence. I think Justin Lon does a better job in things like Drag Me to Hell, or, uh... Um, he's pretty funny in a Kevin Smith movie in a bit part called, uh... Zack and Mary make a porno, which I wasn't crazy about that movie, but I think he's pretty funny in it. No, he's pretty good. But you know, you know what I felt about him? I I I felt like his presence in this movie. I felt was like Shia LaBeouf in uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which you've never and seen. And everybody who was ever in Blade Three was like, "Oh, we better put <laughs> some young people in here so we can continue the franchise with a young hip cast." You know, like that's, I think- ex- that's exactly what it is. And with the upcoming Die Hard 5 that's uh, presumably uh, dealing with uh, John McClane's son, that's going to be another thing. I, it'll be very curious who they cast. Who do you think would be a good uh, son of uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard 5? Oh, hell. Because um, you know some, someone like Jason Statham would be a bit old, right? <laughs> you know what? How about, my, how about Michael Sarah? just for the hell of it? Well, you'd have another nerd as a sidekick, like in uh, Die Hard 4.0, but... He, yeah, let, let, let's be clear. He, he's, he's not a nerd. He likes... There, there is nothing, aside from peppering, lightly peppering his computer room with, uh, with collectibles, there really is nothing nerdy about this character. And it's really a shame that in, in, this, in this day and age... If you if you make a character that's computer literate, oh well, they have to be a nerd. I mean, he, he's trying to play like a cool nerd or one that isn't as socially awkward. You know, I mean, it's not like they cast Woody Allen as the sidekick. Well, that's just <laughs> it. Though being socially awkward is part of being a nerd. He this yeah. he's a professional. He's a professional computerist, right? Computer and, you know, security and, guy and. I don't know about you in Kentucky, but uh, I live in Portland, Oregon, and you see a lot of computer people that dress kind of, a lot of hipster computer people, you know, that don't have the thick glasses and the pocket protectors. That's an extremely dated stereotype well, in the example I just gave. But Well, well, the thing is, like, like all groups of people, they're a very varied group of people. You know, like they're computer nerds, but like I'm, I'm, I'm a media nerd. I'm a storytelling nerd. Uh, yeah. You are a film nerd and a Tim Curry nerd. There are many different types of nerds, and there's many different types of people within each nerd category. That's true. And a lot of overlap. You were the best man at my wedding, Thrasher, and uh, in a speech you compared me to uh, what character from Labyrinth? Uh, Hoggle. Yeah, that's the guy with the big nose, the short guy. Oh, that was a great toast. That was, or, no, that was very funny. Yeah, that was a great toast. Ugh. <laughs> And your vows are very good as well. Yeah, actually, and Seawolcast uh, listeners, at my wedding, I uh, for uh, a reading, I picked a quote from Douglas Adams' uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, I believe, 
it was from. Uh, no, I thought it was mostly... Oh, no, you're right. It was so long, and thanks for all the fish. I, think there was I was about to Manic correct you, and I remembered what book I'd read. Novels. Uh, but back to the cast before we jump more into the plot of uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Such as it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kevin Smith, uh, actor or, or director first, I think actor second, has a bit part in this as a character called Warlock, sort of the nerdy uh, conspiracy theory confidant of uh, Matt Farrell, played by Justin Lawn. Yeah, if you thought Farrell was the top yeah. nerd of this movie, wait till you see Kevin Smith as the Warlock. You know, I thought Lives he was... in his mother's basement with this elaborate multimedia setup. I, I, I think he was kind of funny. He's in a small enough dose where he's not so obnoxious. No, no, but... he, he he was funny. It's like the, the whole time watching this, I was thinking, oh, there should be a movie... Where it's the where it's the warlock and feral travel cost cross country and solve mysteries. That would be better than Die Hard four probably. Yeah, I think you're right. It's um, you know, it's comic relief in a different style than what Justin Long does, and it's it's a nice uh, break in the picture. It gives it some life. Where I think a lot of this picture is what kind of. Lifeless. It didn't take me out of the movie, and in fact, it actually took me a moment to realize, unlike a lot of other Kevin Smith cameos I've seen, it took me a moment to realize that this was Kevin Smith. You know, like, as an actor, he's actually not so bad. It's just, in his own films, he typically would play Silent Bob, where he doesn't speak. And, well, and now, you know, he's claiming he's going to direct uh, a two-part film, and that's going to be his last film, because he has his... Uh, his uh, uh, extremely successful um, uh, SIR radio, I think it's Smodcast Internet Radio Network, is what it stands for, and uh, a series of podcast things that he does and produces for other people. And he makes more money doing public speaking gigs uh, and performing, uh, you know, episodes live of his podcast at the uh, John Lovitz uh, Theater in L.A. John um, Lovitz. Yeah, right. Well, you know, and, and I hate to and say this, but I do, I, do, uh, I do respect Kevin Smith, but you know why he's so good in this part? Because he's Because he plays nerd. a pompous nerd. <laughs> and I mean that with yeah. all due respect. Yeah. He's playing, he's not playing a role. It's as if they just sat him down and said, you like computers, go! Right. Uh, that's a really good point. It, it It is something where you see... Yeah, they, he doesn't act much outside his wheelhouse. He might have even written his own part or something, or done a lot of improv. Well, and, supposedly he supposedly he did some work on the script, but wasn't credited. Really? Well, I could believe that. I don't know. He he was an admirer of Bruce Willis for a while, and in fact, Bruce Willis starred in a later film he did. Uh, Kevin Smith directed, uh, not off one of his own screenplays, I might add. Oh, called, Cop Out. Called Cop Out. Um, yeah, with Tracy Morgan. Which, I didn't like that movie so much, but I I liked what it was trying to do, and I really liked the music score in that film by Harold Faltermeyer, who also did the music for Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun and Fletch. Um, did you ever see Cop Out? You know, regrettably, no, and and it's, it's kind of a shame, because everything in it tells me that it should be a movie that I would love. Uh, it's got Bruce Willis, who I really, really like. It's got Tracy Morgan, well, who I, mean, since uh, making enough, it, I really, Kevin, really like. Since making and it, Kevin Dr- Smith has admitted that Bruce Willis was a real asshole in the set and refused to really pitch in in the movie and help promote it or even do a decent performance. 
Uh, I was just looking for a really good deconstruction of buddy cop movies. So. You know, I think if you like Tracy Morgan and like sort of old-fashioned buddy cop movies, you'll get enough out of it. It's, uh, I, sh- I should try and watch it again. I only saw it halfway through the first time, to be fair. And I saw Kevin Smith's uh, latest movie, Red State, which is sort of like a action thriller horror picture. And I thought that was actually pretty good, pretty interesting. Um, maybe it'll get a sequel one day. Maybe. Back to Live Free or Die Hard. This is a tangent-filled show because we hate Live Free or... Er, I dislike Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> I can't speak for Thrasher. Um, way, way to backpedal there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like we mentioned, this movie kind of jumps around everywhere as far as settings. There's a lot of stuff set in Washington, D.C., uh, which has a lot of iconic visuals in Washington, D.C. What did you think of the action overall in this film, uh, as directed by Len Wiseman, compared to the action in the previous Die Hard pictures? Um, every, every action scene I liked about two-thirds into it, and then that last third, it all, all the action scenes went to just a real ridiculous place. And part of that's because, you know, as a sequel, it has to try to top itself, but also the rest of it is, you know, oh, we have CGI. Now we can do these things. It would be impossible to pull off. So, you know, it's like the chase sequence in the tunnel with traffic coming from both yeah. ends. Yeah. I loved that up until cars were flipping over and Bruce Willis could save himself from falling flying cars by, like, ducking between cars and then crashed a police cruiser into a helicopter. And, like, the scene with the Mack truck on the bridge... I like that up until he was being chased by a Harrier jet. And, yeah, and, and there's a scene where isn't there a scene down where, a Harrier jet is by it, falling onto its back. And there's also a scene where he's chased by a helicopter or something, and he rams his car into a fire hydrant, and it spews water up into the air that like knocks the plane out of the air or distracts the cars behind him. No, no, that's that's the thing. It doesn't knock the helicopter out of the air because that's the same helicopter it crashes the, the police cruiser into. For some reason, it stuns the helicopter and causes the gunner to fall out of the side who, for some inexplicable reason, was not wearing a safety strap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the other thing we, we have failed to mention so far, which I think is a, a big point, is that this one, uh, theatrically, at least was rated PG-13. And then uh, on the DVD, it comes with two versions on one disc. It's the unrated and the PG-13 version. And uh, strangely enough, at least in the United States, uh, the Blu-ray is only the PG-13 theatrical cut, um, which is very strange, especially considering the added space of the Blu-ray format. You know, I, I didn't even know the rating when I watched it, but I could tell it wasn't R. The, the violence is so... Sanitized. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's, and, and it's not like the other Die Hard movies were that gory or that bloody, but you get definitely less blood. Um, you know, certainly a lot. I, I think I think uh, John McClane, the way he speaks, is peppered with uh, bad language. Wouldn't you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, he uses he uses a bit of it, but he he's as far as I'm concerned, he's earned the right. He's in some deep shit. Oh, exactly right. And although you have all that going on in this movie, it just seems to pull its punches with not only how over-the-top the the, uh, climaxes of these action scenes become, but with the the grittiness, I think, of the earlier films. 
Now, these, I'm not saying gritty like something like Saw, where they pull someone's guts out and have people scream for five minutes. That's not gritty. That's that's a Tuesday night. No, <laughs> no, that, that that's barely grongiol. Mm. But um, we, we know the other thing is unlike the other movies, Bruce Willis doesn't really get all that beat up in this one. The most beat up he gets is in that uh, is in that. Uh, that car scene in the tunnel, he does get pretty beat up and bloody and has clearly suffered some injuries, but somewhere in this movie he finds the time to wash all that blood off, and no matter what beatings he takes from that point on, he never seems to suffer any real consequences for the brutality that's uh, being inflicted on him. Yeah, the unrated cut of this, uh, which is only on the DVD version uh, in the U.S. uh, at least, um, you know, has a lot of clumsily placed motherfuckers and things in there, that sound very ADR'd, as in they're dubbed in afterwards. And it doesn't come as very satisfying. There's not there's not major changes, I think, between the two cuts. And, and still, the action scenes, while being a bit over the top, still feel intense. I don't think the movie is poorly directed. It's just by the numbers and uninspired. Thrasher? Mm, yeah, well, it's it's not just... I'm not going to say uninspired because they seem to be going somewhere with this movie, but none of the aspects gel. I mean, the villain, if you thought the villain's plans in Die Hard 2, Die Harder, were complicated, oh, wow, it's like a crazy four-dimensional mandala trying to understand their elaborate scheme in this movie. And you don't really give a damn about the, and you don't really give a damn about the villains because Oliphant takes along being introduced and the... The abbreviated well, love story that shows up between mm-hmm. Farrell and McLean's daughter, it, it's, it seems, is so tacked on and just, well, we got to have one of these in here. We can't have give McLean a love story. He's a single man. Well, in, in all the other Die Hard films, even Die Hard 2, you know, the, the villains were constantly threatening in some way, and Oliphant is in the shadows for most of the film. That when you see him, especially in the same scene where you see him and Bruce Willis uh, next to each other, it's like no contest, <laughs> you know. And it's not like the uh, Alan Rickman or Jeremy Irons or like Arnold Schwarzenegger, these like muscled out guys. But their uh, posture, their way of speaking was threatening, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's like uh, Timothy Oliphant is just small potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing about about his scheme, which involves faking Armageddon so he can get all these financial records that are held in a back emergency backup system he designed. Again, in Die Hard tradition, it's an overly complicated motivation for the villain. Well, unlike the first, the first movie is pretty simple motivation. Well, it's it's the motivation's money, but it's the means to to accomplish that that's so ridiculous. Because it it occurred mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. If he's this, if he's crooked enough that when he leaves the employ of the government, when they won't, uh, when he leaves the employ of the government, that he's willing to destroy uh, America's financial system to steal a whole bunch of money, why didn't he just engineer a back door into that backup system and an override that could trigger the backup so that he wouldn't have to trigger Armageddon? He could just two keystrokes and he's got all that information and no one would fucking notice. Or he could have fucking done the uh, Superman 3 thing, which is to skim off a few pennies of every transaction, or fraction of pennies of every transaction, and over time sneakily accumulate a large amount of wealth. 
Yeah, or or hack into a weather control satellite and reprogram it so it doesn't just predict the weather, it controls the weather. Yeah, those are all really good questions. Um, Oh, and then build a really advanced computer in the desert that turns a British person into a cyborg and then Superman has to... Oh, wow. Are you talking about the third one again? Yeah, I'm talking about the third Superman movie with Richard Pryor and uh, Robert Vaughn. Where it's the woman as a robot. we got to talk about Superman sooner than later. <laughs> uh, those are so such bizarre pictures. No, no, three, three and four are such bizarre pictures. Uh, I'd say the fifth one to some extent. Oh, wait, yeah, I guess that does kind of... we we got to save... Oh, wow, we are... I'm going to rein this tangent in okay. before, before we start eating our own tails. Put on the brakes. Is there a scene that jumps out of this movie for you, Uncle Milkshake? Uh, live Free or Die Hard, or Die Hard 4.0, as it's known overseas. Um, let me think. You're thinking long and hard. Thinking thinking long and thinking die hard. Uh, oh! Did, <laughs> yes, did you notice Tuvok, uh, Tuvok from Voyager? That actor has a cameo in this film. No, who does he play? Yeah, he's that that about towards the end of the film. There's that there's that guy who's like running the FBI operations, uh, and then that higher up from the from Washington shows up. That's the guy who played Tuvok. Hmm. I think the uh, the idea at the end of the film, how John McClane finishes off the bad guy, is really kind of interesting in that he gets more tortured and beat up. And he shoots himself through his own shoulder to hit the guy in the face. Is that right? Uh, he shoots himself through his own shoulder to hit the other guy in the ribs. In the ribs, okay. I thought that was kind of clever. And yeah, That um, was intense. I actually like that. I, I really like that. I like that kind of sacrifice, self-sacrifice for victory. I mean, that's I the like scene that, that sticks out. I like that John willing to risk that much to take uh-huh. this guy down. Like, that's the scene in this one that sticks out for me. And I think the, the stuff, the brief scene with Kevin Smith in Warlock's basement, I thought was kind of funny. But other than that, um, like our, our guest from last episode, Eric Lichtenfeld, commented about this film, it feels like a generic action movie. And do you think uh, John McClane, the character, really feels like John McClane anymore? And what is it that even defines John McClane? Because he's not like a real sharply defined character in the other well- films. They've taken, by, by isolating him from his family, I really feel like they've removed a lot of potential motivation. I mean, he's, he no longer comes across as a, as a cop. He no longer comes across as a husband or a father. He, mm-hmm. In this movie, he comes across as an action meat slab. Yeah, and I, I think another uh, series of films that I would like to cover in the show, in which the the star is a family man, and they sort of really stick to that through most of the films, is the uh, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan films, like Hunt for the Red October or Patriot Games, where the character having a family is kind of central to some of the scenes. Do you know what I mean? Have you seen those? Yeah, actually, yeah. Now that I think about it. Or it's the assault on the house in Patriot Games, and... uh, there's, I guess, some lesser stuff and clear and present danger, but whatever. That's for another time, another show. Yeah, I mean, they really... What kind of scene stuck out for you, uh, as far as that goes, in Live Free or Die Hard? 
Well, you know, I guess the, the 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 moments that stand out for me are the moments that I really didn't like, where the action got really over the top, like the aforementioned uh, chase scenes and fight scenes. What uh, about the karate scene between uh, John McClane and uh, Mai Lin? It was nice. It was tense, but like at. at when he eventually drives a truck up through the building and then crashes her and the truck into an elevator shaft and she's still <laughs> not dead. Yeah. It's like her 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 hip and, and femur should have been shattered by that impact. I think I would have liked to have seen an X-ray scene where you do a close-up and it shows what the bones are smashing like as the truck crashes into her. You know what? It just occurred to me... What was with John McClane referring to to Maggie Q as an Asian hooker, a dead Asian hooker? Uh, I don't know. I guess he's kind that of. That seems he, really tacked on and out of character. John McClane, if nothing else, is a man that speaks his mind. I think it was supposed to come off as a joke, but maybe it came off as more insulting or well, uh, quasi racist. It comes off. It, I guess it comes off as a as a as a bad joke at best and racist at worst. Yeah, yeah. It's like that was the only thing he or the screenwriter could come up with. Right. I mean, he could have said something like "Me love you long time." No, because that, that 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 that's like a non sequitur. I would almost like when he's talking to, when he's talking to Oliphant. You know, uh, you know, I took I took out uh, I took out your. This is bad, but I took out I took out your assassin, but. And I bet an hour from now you're going to try to kill me again or something like that. Yeah, that's not very good either. Um, it's it's not good, but it's better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just weird. I don't know. They could have done... I think uh, the thing with the talking about sequels, especially later sequels in a series, is conversations can revolve around could have, would have, should have. But you ultimately have to accept what is there on the screen. Yeah. What is there in the actual film, not what you wish it would be. And uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, or I'm so sorry, Live Free or Die Hard, I hate this title. Uh, Die Hard 4.0. Die Hard 4.0 is a better title. Uh, could have been much worse, but that it it barely rises above mediocrity is, is disappointing, especially when I think uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance is extremely inventive, especially in the first half of, the, of that film. Um, oh, you know what? It just occurred to me something that I did like in this movie. Um, when Oliphant's goons have taken over uh, the nation's airwaves, they play this. They play this like this t- creepy video, but it's all made up of clips of presidential speeches edited together. And it's actually pretty. It's actually pretty cool. It's a pretty creepy video. And it is kind of like stuff you'd see on YouTube as well. You know. Yeah. In that there's all these. Uh, like you know, there's a YouTube clip of nothing but the Mister Freeze uh, pun lines from Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh yeah, you know a lot of these. It's interesting out of context what you can do with things. Speaking of presidents, there's a great video on YouTube that is just showing what uh, uh, former U.S. presidents look like when they start office and when they finish being a U.S. Oh, president, yeah. and how quickly the stress and everything else of that job ages them. It's it's really shocking, I think. Or perhaps not so shocking, but just uh, when you see them one after the other, it's like, oh my god, they're killing themselves in four years' time. 
Well, there's a reason why they call that profession the Widowmaker. Do they? Is that what it refers to? No, no. I just oh. I like to whenever someone talks about a profession being difficult or or, or something like that, I, I like to make that comment. I just like to throw out, well, you know, they call that they call that the Widowmaker. Well, you know, I don't want to talk about live free or die hard, but uh, how is your Halloween, Thrasher? What was it? <laughs> how is your Halloween? Well, you know, it was it was ups and downs. Uh, as a lot of people know, uh, I am a uh, professional LARPist, or LARP meister, as I like <laughs> to say. Uh, over the summer, I go to conventions and put on big, extravagant, live-action role-playing games. And my girlfriend and I, we've got our, this great new place with a really terrifying basement. We thought, oh, it would be great if we put on a LARP for our friends. So we had everything set up to put on a Dark Heresy LARP. We had props, special effects, all this stuff ready, and we sent out a bunch of invitations, and no one came. Uh, only one, well, not no one came, only one person came. Technically two, but that other person showed up only to drop off a cake and then left. Uh, <laughs> so as a result, a whole bunch of our friends missed out on what would have been a real kick-ass party. Huh. So instead, uh, we played, uh, so instead we played uh, Deadlands and had a really good time. Uh, that was the day before Halloween. Halloween night, you didn't get a single trick-or-treater. We made awesome pumpkins. Sarah made this demon pumpkin. I made this skeleton albino pumpkin. Uh, we didn't get a single trick-or-treater. We saw only one trick-or-treater on our block, and he wasn't even from our block. He was a kid in a Buzz Lightyear costume that was driven to a neighbor's house, went up to the neighbor's house, then got back in the car and was driven away. We kept hearing all these screams, one block away for like three straight blocks, that's where all the trick-or-treating was happening. It was packed. Kids and parents everywhere. Yeah, maybe it's just because I live in the West Coast now, but there's a distinct lack of trick-or-treaters. And I, I live oh. off of uh, uh, off of like South Hawthorne Street in the southeast uh, section of Portland, Oregon. And there's a lot of houses there, and it's a big uh, sort of hippie district. Uh, even for Portland, uh, and that's saying something. And, you know, I've lived in this house in this neighborhood for, or, sorry, in a part of a house, an apartment, I guess you can say, um, for um, a year and a half, I think, now. And no, no trick-or-treaters, period. It just doesn't seem like it's something maybe for safety reasons or whatever people do much anymore. And they take their kids to the mall instead, or they get their candy at school. Or, but what's what safety reasons? You're just you're just as in fact you know you're more likely to get murdered on Thanksgiving than you are on Halloween. You know I don't know people um, where I live in Portland. You've been to this house, uh, Thrasher. Yes. Uh, dress up so weird anyway that I don't think Halloween is that different. Um, <laughs> so speaking you know, of dressing up weird, should we say what we're going to do uh, next week? In a second, hold on, i got to tell my Halloween story this year. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tony, uh, known as Tone Man on Destructoid, and he does a website called Bowtie Cat um, that has a Tumblr page that um, I'll link to on the Facebook page. He, he's a Halloween baby. His birthday's on Halloween. And um, he just got through a, uh, a breakup with a, a girlfriend he's had for a few years. And uh, he decided, why don't we go to a strip club? And I don't think he's even been to a strip club before. <laughs> and compared to the one I went to with you, Thrasher, in Savannah, Georgia, all those many years ago, 
Um, this one was was classier, and the guy. <laughs> this is real Oregon fashion. The guy Classier that owned than the Platinum Club, impossible. Yeah, no. The guy that owns this uh, strip club, I think, called the Acropolis uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, he also owns uh, a ranch of cattle, and so you can get steaks for dirt cheap in this strip club. You can get a five ounce steak for three dollars and fifty cents, and that's with French fries. So. Um, and, and the strippers are dressed up in Halloween garb. Uh, one of the, so a stripper would go on and their routine would be three songs and they start out, you know, scantily clad and end up totally buck-ass naked except for the shoes as it turned, because of the floors, I guess, were gross. The you best know. part. The shoes? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, Quentin Tarantino would agree with you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, this one girl is dressed up as kind of a vampire kind of uh, outfit. And the three songs in her bit is she started with Werewolf of London, followed it up with Monster Mash, and topped it off, and topped it off with Time Warp. Oh. So, and then afterwards you went to an arcade in Portland, Oregon called uh, Ground Control, which has, it's a two-story arcade. Uh, I wish I could have taken you and uh, Jersey Jason there. Sounds and they awful. have... They have pinball machines on the second floor. Did you go to it yourself or no? It sounds awesome. I've no, no, it's really cool. And they served alcohol in there. And now they serve food, which is a recent addition. They used to just serve candy bars. But speaking of which, you know, when I told my stripper story, uh, why don't we wrap up Live Free or Die Hard? <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, and then we'll talk about our ratings on each film individually afterwards. So overall, would you recommend Live Free or Die Hard or Die Hard 4.0, as it were? Uh, not not particularly. Uh, it's 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 an okay it's an okay effort, but that's all it is an okay effort. I agree. You know, had this not been a Die Hard film, I think people would have liked it a little bit better. Uh, there's a lot of baggage going into uh, the legacy of the Die Hard series. I would say with. You know, overall, well, okay, let's go through the diehard films one at a time and give them a rating out of five stars as we've been doing on the sequel cast lately. So, starting with Die Hard, the first film, I would give that four and a half out of five stars. I think it's oh. almost the perfect action film. I think it, it lags a little bit in some parts, especially the stuff with the limo driver is a, is a bit cheesy. Um... But, you know, I think it still holds up. There's a lot of great scenes, and Alan Rickman is by far the best villain of the series. I, I'm going to go with a full five for the original okay. Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard 2, um, with this unofficial subtitle of Die Harder, I would give two and a half stars. You know, I was going to say the same, two and a half. I think it's the very definition of a 90s action movie. It plays it a bit safe in, in some parts, uh, beside a an intriguing shootout in the baggage claim area of an airport in the beginning. I, I don't think it, it lives up to the first film. Uh, and yet, you still have some fun moments in there. And you still have Bonnie Bedelia as uh, John McClane's wife. Rasher? Yeah, I'm gonna have to with 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 Die Hard uh, Die Hard Two. I'm gonna have to say uh, two and a half as well. It's it's about as far as my needle rises on that movie. 
The third film, called Die Hard with a Vengeance, I would give four stars out of five. Uh, almost Shut as- my mouth wide open. I was going to do four stars as well. Whoa, how about that? We don't even compare yeah. these numbers beforehand, and that's the uh, goddamn truth. Uh, yeah, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, I think almost as good as the first film. Not quite a spectacular first half. The second half, the plot, uh, the action scenes get a bit more muddled. But uh, Sam Jackson makes a fine sidekick to Bruce Willis. And it uses... Uh, the, the taxi drive through Central Park is possibly my favorite scene of the whole franchise. Oh, it's a great chase scene. Anything to add? Um, No, not particularly. Just that, like, I guess, like... I guess what one, like... All I can think of that I would change in that movie are just little tweaks. I, I think it's like all the parts are there. Just a little fine tuning is all it would need to be five stars. Uh, the fourth, and as of uh, this recording, November twenty eleven, uh, most recent film on the Die Hard series. Uh, the fourth one, uh, known alternatively as Live Free or Die Hard or Die Hard four point I would give uh, two stars out of five. I think. It's a mediocre action film, especially mediocre when you consider it's part of the Die Hard franchise. And other than uh, a funny scene or two and uh, a kind of interesting spin on the uh, climactic showdown, I don't think it's very interesting. It's it's passable. Uh, everyone, I think, could have tried a lot harder, and having hackers be the bad guys is incredibly uninspired. Um, I'm going to go with, with two stars as well, but that last half star is made up primarily of goodwill fallout from the original Die Hard. Good point. Good point. Uh, you know, the, the, any any good feelings I have about that movie, most of them were echoes of the good feeling from the original Die Hard. It's how much I want to like the fourth film. Uh, so you know what? No, I'll go ahead and dip that down to, to one and a half. One and a half. Wow. Okay. Pulling no punches on that one. Uh, I was being kind with two stars myself. Um, so, with Die Hard out of the way, and I think it's been a great fun revisiting... Oh, I have one last comment. Yeah, go Die on. Hard. The actor who played Tuvok is named Tim Russ. And uh, who was Tuvok again? Tuvok was the uh, the uh, Vulcan second-in-command on... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, he wasn't. He was a science officer. The... Uh, no, security officer! Fuck! He was the Vulcan security <laughs> officer on Star Trek Voyager. Okay. You know, Star Trek Voyager is my wife's uh, favorite of that series. Oh. And we're currently stumbling through some of Next Generation, but um, we're partway in the second season. It's a it's a rough go in the beginning, I think. Yeah, I, for me, it really took till season four for, for, for Next Generation to become truly classic. I think the Data Lore episode from season one is actually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the Holocron... Gets to be such a big cheap. Holodeck. I'm oh, what the holocron is Star Wars. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I've been drinking a twenty four sorry twenty five point four fluid ounce can of Foster's Premium Ale. Uh, for our Australian listeners of the sequel cast. Die Hard Four has driven Uncle Milkshake to drink. Oh, I could do that without Die Hard Four, but sure. <laughs> um. In this can, it says Foster's Premium Ale as opposed to just Foster's, but uh, this doesn't taste so premium to me. I'm sure this has been in the refrigerated area of my grocery store for over a year, so it, it's flat and copper tasting. I used to perfection, Mike. Foster's, it's Australian for crap. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> remember that talk we had, Uncle Milkshake? About the birds and the bees? Well, no, but not alienating our listeners. Oh, no. Not at all. Uh, but speaking of alienating our li- I can't speak. Speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of alienating our listeners... Speaking of aliens, uh, our next uh, series of films we're covering on the sequel cast is a duology, a series of two movies in which a lot of people don't even realize a sequel is made to the first one. And it's a little bit late for Halloween, but, you know, people don't watch enough scary movies anyway. And it's these fashionably are, late. It's fashionably late, uh, which works with these films. I'm talking about uh, the duology of Rocky Horror Picture Show a film I have a feeling that many listeners of the sequel cast have seen, and it's little-known uh, cult sequel. If you thought the original film was a cult movie, uh, most people don't even know the sequel exists, which is called Shock Treatment. So we'll the be doing most that. important film of the 1980s, as far as I'm concerned. It predicts reality TV and a lot of other things way before its time. Yep. And so we'll be talking about that, and uh, we might even have as a special guest uh, some friends of ours from college who used to uh, perform in... Uh, how would you describe it? How would I describe the Rocky Horror Picture Show? No, like what are a potential guest for the next episodes? Oh, we, we actually have uh, two interesting guests lined up. Not only do we have, uh, not only do we have the founder of uh, Savannah Georgia's biggest uh, Rocky Horror Picture uh, cast... But we also have uh, one of the former cast members of what may very well be the longest-running Rocky Horror Picture Show cast in the United States. There is some dispute about whether or not a a group up in New York might have gotten the drop on them by a couple of months. It's a fascinating story, but we'll we'll touch on that in the episodes. And when you say cast, we're not talking about cast members from the film, but uh, when you see Rocky Horror Picture Show in a theater, depending on where you go... Uh, for these special late-night screenings that happen all around the world, you know, every weekend. Uh, there'll be people dressed up as characters from the show, kind of miming the actions and lip-syncing to the songs as the movie's going on. It's sort of a stage show in front of the movie show. Is that a fair description? Yeah, but, but I think we'll, we'll go into more detail. I mean, frankly, we probably could do a whole special episode just about... Uh, just about the the audience participation, but we'll we'll save that for for those episodes. Okay, very good. So, uh, any last thoughts on Die Hard? We've talked about four hours worth of Die Hard, in fact, over the past uh, few episodes. Watch Die Hard and then stop. I'd say watch Die Hard and watch Die Hard with a Vengeance. Watch one oh, and three. Fair. That's fair. Watch one and three, not two and four. And, and, and Hollywood, I know you've got another Die Hard movie in development. Let John, Give John McClane a happy ending. Let him hook back up with his family and not have it stripped away from him again. So you're saying let the ghost of Maggie Q give John McClane a hand job at the what? end of Die no, Hard that's, no, absolutely not. Okay. Don't, don't bring this dead Asian hooker thing back, Uncle Milkshake. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I want... To know that John McClane is is doing well and not just the being the world's punching bag. Can you talk for, for a few more minutes? I have to go to the bathroom for a second. Wait, what's that? Can you talk for a few more minutes? I have to go to the bathroom for a second. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, certainly, it's time to fill time while you fill a bowl with your feculence. Which is our word for the day for the sequel cast. 
Feculence. Enjoy. Oh, and actually, I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Alex Fox Harris. He's a friend of mine. He's also a fan of the show. Sent a very nice letter uh, saying he, he loves Sequel Cast, all capital letters. Uh, love to read that. Uh, he was also wondering when uh, Jason or BJ was going to be back on the show. Uh, as of this moment, we do not entirely know. Uh, uh, Jersey Jason is, uh, is interestingly enough, he's on a trip back to Jersey right now. So it's, it's unclear when he's, uh, he's going to have a steady enough internet connection to get back on. But we're going to try to make that as soon as possible. And as for BJ, uh, he's recently gotten some free time on his hands. So he should be joining us. Uh, he may very well join us for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which would be pretty pretty cool. Although I have no idea whether whether he's actually seen these movies, it would be really interesting to get an outsider's perspective. Feculence. And also, the sequel cast is brought to you by uh, Dog Torture. Assuming Uncle Milkshake left any of those sounds uh, in the cut of this episode, uh, all you people listening at home. Uh, also, the Die Hard uh, arcade game was uh, was pretty fun. I remember playing that at uh, old Laser Tag Place back in Virginia, back when I was in high school. Uh, it was it was a good it was a good shoot 'em up. Lots of running around. A good shoot 'em up. Lots of running around. A fine description for the Die Hard franchise as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> yep, without missing a beat. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I think we've. We've said our piece on these films. I hope you enjoyed listening to us talking about sequel cast, or talking about Die Hard. And uh, their website again is sequelcast.com. I still don't have a set up on iTunes again. I got to spend some time in the emails. With the, I'm getting sort of frustrated about that. But but speaking of which, why don't we've? Uh, this is episode seventy of the sequel cast. Nice. And uh, although we skipped over uh, one of the episodes. Uh, number-wise, but when you include the, all the special episodes, we're at least at 75 or so. Well, actually, doesn't Back to the Future throw off our count? Didn't we skip a number? Well, that's what I mean, yeah. We skipped a oh, number yeah. there, but then the sequ- the special episodes are numbered separately. But I'm pulling this up live. Since sequel cast started, um, we'll do our two-year anniversary at the start of 2012, but it, it really started in November of 2009. Uh, guess how many all-time downloads we've had since the show started? Um, a million. No, a lot less than a million. Damn. I was hoping it was a lot more. Nope. Another guess? Seven. So, more than seven, less than a million. Uh, since the show started... We've had 14,000, uh, let's say 500 listeners. Downloads, not listeners. Hmm. Which I think is pretty interesting. What do you think of that number, Thrasher? That's a good comforting number. About 15,000. And the most popular episode of all time is... Uh, <laughs> Episode, episode number nine on the Hobbit cartoon. I can see why those are our top ones, though. I mean, as, as I've said before, they link the, to them on um, the one. The Lord of the Rings episodes are are my favorite. I think they're the best of what we do. 
And I cut quite a lot of material out of the Ralph Bashke Lord of the Rings episode. Hmm. But, uh... Yeah, why don't... as the, To wrap out this show, why don't I count down the top ten episodes of the sequel cast as far as listeners go? Wait, what was that? I was going to say... Uh, before I close out, to close out this show, why don't I count down the top ten most popular episodes of the sequel cast? Here we are, the top ten sequel cast episodes. Barafuco, Barafuco, Barafuco. So number one, we just said it was The Hobbit. Any guess for number two? Um, Return of the King. Nope, close. Number two is The Lord of the Rings, Ralph Bashki. Bakshi, I'm sorry, uh, animated cartoon. Still working on that speech impediment. Uh, exactly, been working all my life. Uh, number three, most popular episode of the sequel cast is... Uh, reanimated? Return of the King, the animated uh, series. And um, we got a big boost in those episodes because it was listed on uh, the popular Lord of the Rings and now the Hobbit movie fan site, theonering.net. So kudos to those. Uh, if you're going to listen to one of those, I'd say listen to the Return of the King episode, where we had Cliff Broadway on as a guest. Fantastic episode. Yes. Um, I might try to pull him on. Uh, he said he wants to do the Dungeons and Dragons movies. Cool. When we get to those. So, uh, Or he did at the time, anyway. I'm glad and, that he's willing to martyr himself along with us when we do those movies. Oh, yeah. And we're going to do them, that's for sure. Uh you know, if we do the Dungeons and Dragons movies on the sequel cast, for the third film, we should do the animated uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie based off the... Um, oh, the Dragonlance movie? Uh, yes. Uh, that's terrible quality. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't you think that'd be fitting? Although that's pretty much standard, but we'll, we'll save that for what we do uh, Dungeons and Dragons. The number four most popular sequel cast episode is Smokey and the Bandit. Nice. Which is uh, episode number four. So, the number fifth most uh, popular episode of the um, sequel cast is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Isn't that interesting? Uh, well, it's it's a hot it's it's a con. Well, I, I hate the word controversial. It's a divisive movie. Uh, um, amongst the people on the internet, so I can see why that's up there. It's also one of the more recent films we've covered on the sequel cast. <laughs> that's true, too. Uh, number six is Batman, the 1989 movie with Michael Keaton. Cool. Number seven, Smokey and the Bandit 2. Uh, I don't know why, it's just an old episode, I guess. Number eight, Indiana Jones... And the Temple of Doom. Isn't that weird? One of the least uh, liked Indiana Jones movies. I don't I find it to be fondly remembered. I don't know too many people that outright hate it. Yeah. And uh, we got... Yes, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, I I don't know, I really don't know anyone who outright hates Temple of Doom. Most people I know remember it fondly. Uh, it's certainly not their, it's certainly not their favorite, but, and it may even be on the on their bottom Indiana Jones movie, but they don't think it's a bad movie. 
Uh, number nine is the uh, episode on the uh, animated feature film TMNT, the most recent cool. Ninja Turtles episode. Probably. I could be... I, I've been going through actually a bit of Ninja Turtle nostalgia. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing oh, yeah? a lot of other people are too. Um, yeah, and they have a new Ninja Turtle series coming out. I don't think that started yet, has it, on Nickelodeon? Uh, I, I don't have cable, so I don't know. Fair enough. But hey, cable doesn't have me. And the number ten most popular episode of SequelCast is on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Huh. So, do you want to see what the least popular episode of the show is, just for shits uh, and giggles? I bet it's one of mine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. I gotta skip ahead. I'm not surprised by this at all, really. The least popular episode of the sequel cast is The Two Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, sixty with uh, 64 downloads total. Yeah. Since it premiered in end of April 2011. Hey, and you know what? Two of those are mine. <laughs> I think two of them are mine, too, so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, people don't like the Jack Attack, man. That's an episode with... uh, That's not even Jack Nicholson. Shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A whole hour of our shitty Jack Nicholson impersonations. And we had a trivia contest, which nobody entered. Oh, yeah, nobody (laughs) entered our contest, so nobody got prizes. Hey, but you know what, though? That's still more downloads than the two Jakes had. Yeah. Ugh. All right. So, that's a fair amount of stuff in this rambling, rambling sequel cast hey, look. What's our averages episode? What 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 ranks right in the middle? Just out of academic curiosity. Um, is that the median or the mean? I don't know. Uh, both. Yeah, you know, it's a tie between Bride of Reanimator. Hmm. Uh, Ghostbusters 1 or Rambo First Blood Part 2. Really? I don't think Ghostbusters would be higher ranking than that. Nope. But Caddyshack 2 is higher ranking than that. (laughs) (laughs) Higher ranking than Caddyshack? Uh, Oh, Jesus. No. (laughs) Not higher ranking than Caddyshack. (laughs) <laughs> we, we, you know what? We ought to do a blog. We need to get a blog set up and do a blog post about these metrics. I'm, I'm actually fascinated with these numbers. I can only hope the people listening at home are too. Uh, they, they'd have tuned out by now, surely. But uh, seriously, don't call me Shirley. And I just uh, called myself. Uh, okay, that joke is going nowhere. Um, I, I think I don't know. I think the Facebook page is a better part for the blog content. I don't know. I'm still figuring out some kinks with my site. We'll have to see. You're right. We, we will have to see. Yeah. Do you like the pig vomit color scheme of SequelCast.com? Uh, uh, if if I had my way, uh, I would I, I would revise this color scheme. It looks like it it looks like a the, the cover of a psychology or a textbook. <laughs> it for some reason has the letterhead of a early 1990s computer coding textbook. Fair enough. All right. So uh, you've listened to this uh, extra long episode of the sequel cast. Extra long and extra hard to get through to the end. 
Uh, extra die hard to get through. Extra die hard to get through to the end. Next time on Sequel Cast, as you mentioned, we'll be covering uh, the Rocky, Rocky Horror Picture Show, show uh, duology for the next few episodes. So until next time for the Sequel Cast, this is Matt. And Thrasher. Saying. It's just a jump to the left to get out of this franchise. Oh, Rocky. <laughs> er, McLean. Er. Oh, 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 oh. Hello. I'm, I'm Groomer. And now I will take you on a most peculiar journey. I got that quote wrong. That's <laughs> a strange journey, and how strange was it? Very strange indeed. I think this is the first time we've ended the sequel cast by quoting a different movie. May the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> uh, I'll be Bach. <laughs> I'll be Chopin. Boom! Uh, little town, little quiet village, every day like the one before. Little town, full of... Happy people looking up to say bonjour, 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 bonjour. Okay, I have to go. <laughs> so, au revoir. Au revoir. That was fun. Good night. Good night. Bonjour. 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 There goes the baker with his tray like always. The same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same Since the morning that we came To this poor provincial town Good morning, pal Morning, monsieur Where are you off to? The bookshop I just finished the most wonderful story About a beanstalk and an ogre and a... That's nice Marie! The baguettes! Hurry up!